and we are live. Welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. This is the third webinar in the October series, How to Be a Better Connector, Strategies for Educators, Parents, and Administrators. So I'm Tom DeCord, and I'm the director of EdTech Teacher, and I'll be your host for this evening. So throughout the month, uh, Connected Learning has been exploring how educators, parents, and um, others can create learning environments that support the principles and values of connected learning. So today we'll be chatting specifically about how school administrators can better support innovative, tech-driven classroom practice. But before we dive into this, we're going to go over a few quick details with you. So one, for those of you who are watching the live TV right now, we welcome your comments and your questions. You can do it by a Twitter hashtag. So the hashtag for tonight will be CE14 or CE14. You can also use Google+, the event page. And we'll try to do our best to address whatever questions or issues that you bring up in the Hangout. We're also chatting throughout the month, and we're doing so through the Connected Learning Google Plus community. So there's a couple of ways that you can get involved. So we'll start by giving our guests a chance to briefly introduce themselves, and then we'll get rolling with tonight's program. So Craig, would you mind starting? Yeah, I am uh, Craig Badura. I am the integration specialist here in uh, right in the middle of Nebraska in a school district called Aurora Public Schools. And uh, I am excited to join tonight and share some of my ideas and uh, get this conversation going. Thank you. Go right ahead. I'm Jean Tower. I'm the Director of Technology for the Public Schools of Northburn Southboro here in Massachusetts. Um, also the National Chair for COSIN, the Consortium of School Networking. It's an organization for ed tech leaders throughout the country. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Jean. So the first question here is, how, um, how are you currently sharing your school's story? In other words, how are you getting the message about what's transpiring, what's happening in your community? Perhaps, Craig, you could begin. Well, uh, my job as integration specialist when I came here about three years ago, I'm a big Twitter fan, <clears throat> and I give a shout out to Twitter there, but I, I really thought there's so many great school or stories happening within our school and our classrooms, and what's the best way to get that out to our parents? And uh, we have a school Facebook page at the high school, um, and our, we connect with parents and patrons that way. Uh, and I'm, I'm a big advocate of using social media in the classroom, so we have a Twitter page, we have an Instagram page. And it's really been a great avenue for us to give parents that opportunity uh, to see what's happening in our classrooms. Because I know too often we might ask a student, what would you do in school today? Well, I, nothing really. And we've had parent after parent uh, approach me saying, Craig, thanks for sharing some of the awesome things that are happening. And in the three years that I've been there, we're really starting to see some of our teachers that have developed hashtags within their own classrooms. So you can get a particular view into that classroom. We have about three or four at the high school. Uh, we have one of our kindergarten teachers that's doing amazing things. She actually just carried the EdTech baton today. Uh, and so she's showcasing some awesome things happening there. Um, and then we're kind of parlaying that to the students. Um, last year, I started uh, handing off the district Twitter account to uh, a student every Friday at the high school. And it's called uh, hashtag AHSSP, Aurora High School Student Perspective. And I think that too often we don't give our students a voice as we should, and we don't trust them with, so, with social media like I think we should. So I thought, what a great way to empower kids and teach them how to share uh, the positive story and the great stories that are happening in our schools. So those, those are some of the things that we're doing at Aurora Public Schools. 
Thanks, Greg. Jean? Um, wow, I, I think we can never do enough. That's the, that's the real story. Um, we use the website quite a bit. I know most of my schools post a lot of pictures and videos. Um, principal's blog, the blog is right on the main page of their website. A couple of our schools do really well using Facebook, but mostly just putting out the same information that's on their website with pictures, videos, and news. Um, but it's just another way to get people and meet them where they are. So if they're in Facebook, that's where they're getting their news. Um, Many of the administrators in my school district are on Twitter. My superintendent tweets, and I think it's kind of a new venture for her, so she's doing a great job at that, which I really admire when people are willing to take risks and kind of join, join in and jump right in. Um, but truly, I think even with pictures and video and news, we can never tell enough of our story. Uh, it, it, ju it just could be constantly every day, I think. Well, it's great to hear that both of you are sort of actively sharing the stories in your community. It kind of reminds me of a great question posed by Eric Scheniger. And uh, for those of you who don't know Eric, he's the author of Digital Age Leadership. He's a former principal at New Milford in New Jersey. And I was just at his conference on the weekend, Edscape. And uh, Eric asks uh, the question, well, if you're not sharing the, your stories, and shaping the identity of your community, who is? So he advocates that administrators take control of the story and the messages that are sort of emanating from, from the institution. And it's such a great opportunity to share a lot of the creative and innovative work that both your educators and, and your students are, are doing. So it's, it's great that you're along that path. So next, let me ask you a question. How do you, how do you encourage innovation and risk-taking in your institutions? How do you support teachers and others in the community to instill the, kinds of, the kind of culture uh, that, uh, that you hope takes, takes root? Maybe this time, uh, Jean, you could start. Um, sure, I'd love to. I think... Um... I think that's a tough one for some schools because it depends on the culture. Um, no matter how much we strategize at central office, culture eats strategy for breakfast, they say. And so I think that the real challenge is for principals to be creating that culture where they celebrate when people try new things and, and it works, but that they also celebrate just when someone tries something and it doesn't work quite the way they wanted it to. So. Um, I love it when um, I can introduce something in a school from central office and say, um, here's an idea and here's how it hits our vision and goals, right? So maybe we have four goals this year. They're around the four C's, um, creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, communication. And I maybe introduce something in their school that's new. What I like is when the school sort of interprets it into their own language and they figure out how to do it for themselves. So we hold tight to our vision of the four C's and having students own their own learning and you know showing their creativity but then we also allow teachers the creativity to figure out how to interpret 
that for their classroom. And for me, that's where real innovation sits because sometimes I introduce something and I think I know how it's going to be used and then some classrooms totally surprise me and, and wow me. I think a lot of it I think a lot of it really starts with our administrators and for them to be comfortable enough to provide that environment for innovation and creativity to take place in our classrooms. And I'm always saying we have to model, we have to model, we have to model. If we're going to be sharing our story, I can't be the only one. You have to support me as an administrator and do the same. And I'm lucky enough to have some administrators that do that. But uh, And then, again, I think that it'll trickle down when, when like you had said, Gene, that uh, we celebrate those successes, but not just the successes, but the failures as well, because uh, I often say that we're we're trying to teach perfection to kids in our schools, and we get out of school, and all of a sudden you might fail in a job, or you might make a mistake, and I don't think that, I don't, I don't necessarily want to use the word celebrate, but uh, we have to acknowledge those with our students, uh, because I think that's where the growth happens with the innovation and creativity, but I, I just love the creativity piece right now, and I'm just continually thinking of ways to get my teachers to think more outside the box, and I think that... Um, Dean Shiresky has a great blog post on how do you make a better teacher, and it's about reflecting. And I think right now uh, we're doing ad the Adolescent Literacy Project at our school, and it just really uh, gives teachers an opportunity to reflect upon what they're doing on best practice in the classroom. And I think that if you can look at that and look at yourself and say, gosh, I probably need to do a better job, uh, what are some ideas teachers can come to me uh, and say, okay, I need to change something up a little bit. I want my students to be creating more uh, and showcasing and publishing some of their work. So that's just a, that's a great question, and it's one that I'm continually thinking about as an educator. Thanks very much, Craig. You know, one thing that strikes me in sort of traveling to different schools and districts and, and working with administrators is the power of modeling, and I know that you've uh, alluded to that, is when administrators are making attempts to integrate uh, innovative practices into their administrative duties, and that might be addressing the faculty, conducting a meeting, uh, in their interactions and their communication with faculty. It's often more powerful than words. And the second right. thing that I've noticed is even for a sort of a small cursory acknowledgement of innovation and risk taking goes a long way. An administrator who might just be passing a teacher in the hallway and says, hey, I heard you're doing something really neat in your classroom. Um, that can be the kind of just small but really impactful support that make, that can really motivate some teachers to sort of continue on, a, on that risk-taking uh, uh, pathway. So great. So let me ask you uh, something else here. Let's talk a little bit about um, the technology environment in your particular uh, districts and, and schools, um, uh, BYOD, uh, iPads, Chromebooks, and uh, a, a little bit about, you know, how do you see the device or devices benefiting the students? What, what would be your message to other administrators who are kind of thinking about integrating technologies and what might be the potential benefits uh, to, to the students? So, Craig, could, well, you, could you tackle that one? Yeah. Well, we went one-to-one. -one. We're uh, just starting year uh, about two-and-a-half, one-to-one uh, iPads, and my position evolved because of that. And our, our technology committee, God bless them, had said, we don't want any devices until we have an integration specialist and iPads in our hands six years to a, uh, or six months to a year prior to, so we can learn how to use them. As we know, obviously, uh, Los Angeles, um, I think, their initiative kind of failed because the teachers didn't have that background and that professional development. So we are one-to-one. -one. Uh, grade 612, 
in uh, grades K-5 at our elementary, we have each grade level has a cart of uh, MacBook Airs, and they also have a cart of approximately 25 iPads. So we're very rich. We're very blessed. Our patrons have done a great job of supporting that. Our administration supports that. And I was lucky enough to be on about one of the third schools in Nebraska uh, when we went one-to-one -one in about 2006 at a different school district. And to be honest with you, when I had heard that from our principal, I struggled with the concept of going one-to-one. -one. I was the most important person in the classroom. And, I, and once I saw the power of one-to-one -one and being in a classroom as a, as a teacher, it totally revolutionized my way that I, my pedagogy just made me reflect and think of what I'm doing here. And it really opened the world and demolished the walls of my classroom. And, and a one-to-one -one opportunity is, a, an environment is not the cure-all for education, but boy, does it empower some of our students. And it gives them that voice and it, it, it enables our students to do things. It levels the playing field. Uh, all your students have devices, and it just it's a very positive thing. It doesn't matter what device it is, if it's a Chromebook, if it's an iPad, if it's an Android device, but um, I, I speak volumes to having that ability to connect. We just had a, a tech committee meeting this morning, and um, we're, we're thinking of going into phase two into our next rotation of iPads, and a lot of the teachers spoke up that I don't think would have a couple of years ago and said, I can't imagine not having a device in my classroom, whether it be an iPad, a Chromebook, a MacBook Pro, or whatever. But it was interesting seeing those perspectives from our teachers for somebody that's been through it uh, two to three years. So that's kind of my opinion on that matter. Thanks, Greg. Jean? So um, I have 10 schools, seven elementaries, two middles, and a high school. And we um, are fairly technology rich. Every teacher has. Um, a laptop. Most of my teachers now have an iPad. Um, there are computers in every room. There are carts in every building. Um, the school where I've seen the most uh, change in pedagogy and um, real transformation of how they teach is where we have been um, trying to get to our one-to-one -one pilot. So we're not quite at one-to-one -one in this school. Half the school uh, is one-to-one and the it's two grades. It's a fourth and a fifth grade. So in fourth grade, every student has an iPad assigned to them. And in the fifth grade, every two students has an iPad assigned to them. So, so two teachers will share a cart. And so if I'm in um, class A, whenever we have the cart of iPads, I get my same iPad all the time. So I can individualize it to a certain extent. And Tom, your question before about how do you tell your own story really comes into play here because I wish that we could really do a good job of sh um, shining a light into these classrooms to show people how much individualized learning is going on, how creative students are being, and um, the kinds of choices they have in how they show their learning, which I find really impressive. So. This is a big year for us in um, creating a new three-year technology plan, and we are really going to look strongly at how do we grow the one-to-one, -one, and if we continue with the iPads in the upper grades or not, because I also think it isn't about the device, and you know I'd be okay with another device. But I will say that for that grade, the iPads have been amazing. The fact that they're using um, the cameras and, and creating screencasts and, and the kind of work they're doing I don't think would have been possible on laptops because we've had carts of laptops in that building for a long time. Um, so I think the innovation has really come from the students having them 
at their fingertips whenever they need them, which has been important. But also, I uh, I think especially for this grade level, the iPads have been very empowering. And I think if I could just tag onto that, I think it's so cool when kids see that it's not a consumption device. Is right. and we've we've went through that area where oh, I can take my device and I can look and consume information, but when kids, that epiphany happens in their classroom, and it's, whoa, I can demonstrate my learning. And I just had a, a second grade. It's, it's, um, she's a, she was a little hesitant to integrate with uh, the iPad in her classroom, but now she said, I can't imagine it. Was, it's allowed me to differentiate in my classroom in so many different cool ways and letting those kids, again, give that student voice. So that's really neat to see. Right. I think... Um, one of the most fun things that I showed to school committee last year was a two-minute video of two fifth graders explaining why peer editing was important and why it was so easy to do in Google Apps. It was like the perfect moment. I don't think half of my teachers could have done as well. <laughs> I know at uh, EdTech Teacher, in a lot of our conversations with principals or superintendents or curriculum heads, uh, a lot of it is about trying to build vision. In other words, if we're going to be able to communicate the benefits of these devices and our technology programs, we have to have a vision of technology in the service of learning. And many of the conversations center on sort of expanding or broadening the vision of educators around devices. So for instance, uh, with iPads, there are so many educators that see it as a repository for teaching content via apps which is a very limited framework and limited understanding of the iPad. If you conceive of the iPad as a portable media creation device and focus on the question, what can students create using the iPad, then you start broaden the broaden your vision of the benefits of that particular device. And now you have a, an, a framework in which you can have these untold active learning possibilities. So, so much is answering that question, why? I mean, in other words, why are we bringing this device? And to answer that, you have to build a vision of the device and technology in the service of learning. So let me uh, switch now and ask you a question about how do you, how do you feel about the process of students making content with their devices. In other words, um, what are some of the challenges or opportunities you see in, in uh, students creating educational content, student, students making uh, performances of understanding versus traditional instruction and traditional assessment? Greg, could you, uh, could you start? Yeah, I just, again, when you give kids opportunity and you empower them and we get away from that traditional style of pedagogy, I'm going to be the teacher, I'm going to regurgitate it, or uh, I'm going to teach you, you're going to regurgitate it on a test, you just, you open up to a whole avenue of learning in your classroom when you get to have your students be able to do things like that with your devices. And it's hard to see when you don't have, when you're in an environment that's not one-to-one, -one, so a lot of times we'll have schools approach us and say, can we come see what's going on in your classrooms? And it's, it's really interesting to see the perspective after being in our school for 45 hours to walk through classrooms and say, gosh, did you see that one kid doing this? This kid was demonstrating his learning this way. 
This was do, kid was doing a podcast. This kid was working on Sketch. It's just such a variety of, of resources available to your students with uh, uh, in that in that environment. Jean, thanks, Fred. Um. Yeah, this is a tough one because there are so many opportunities all the way from K to 12, so it's hard to limit what I want to say. Um, I have a physics teacher at our high school who does a lot of flipped classroom. He was totally paperless last year. Students um, did all of their work um, either on a laptop or on an iPad. He, he didn't limit what they were doing. Um, but they created science labs in Explain Everything, they made movies together, they did all kinds of really creative projects that when you watched their work you had to assume that they were extra engaged because they were so enthusiastic about their product, what they were doing, and um, it, it was amazing. All the way down to you know, second graders doing book reports by using an avatar and recording their um, re uh, their um, commentation about the book and sort of more as a recommendation and then they use QR codes so that then in the library when I'm walking around with my iPad as a student I can grab the QR code and hear another kid, someone in my class or someone in one of the other classes tell me why they liked that book or didn't like that book. So, um, I mean, that's really authentic. It's telling about the book and they're showing that they read it and understood it, but they're making a recommendation for another student and they feel like it's of a different kind of value than handing a book report in, I think. But, I mean, it can be as simple as blogging. Uh, you know, our, I have a high school English teacher who has students blog um, as if they're writing to J.D. Salinger. And, I mean, it's just very creative and impressive the many different ways they can show their knowledge. And these are things that we couldn't easily do without the technology. I mean, it really is that the technology enables that creativity. Yeah, and I think, um, just to tag on that again, is... It's, it creates empowerment in our students and you use that word authentic and when you're blogging kids are so proud of that when we tell them we're going to use the comments for kids hashtag and try to get some comments and these comments are coming in and, and it's amazing when you open the world up to those students and just that teacher set of eyes or maybe that, uh, that uh, post uh, that you did on a piece of paper went home and hung on the refrigerator and then eventually got put in a scrapbook but now the world can see it so kids it's just that, that, that sense of empowerment. And again, back to the student voice. I hit that all the time. But it's, it's let our kids have a voice. You know, we, I think we've been muted for 150 years in education. It's time we open our classroom doors and let kids uh, you know, tell us what they know and, and let them uh, demonstrate their learning in various ways. Well, that's a great segue to the next question. And oh, by the way, we do have a question from Twitter that I'll um, Gene, you started to mention some of the examples from your district, and, and Craig, you've mentioned the power of connecting and, and publishing student work. When, um, when you speak to colleagues or you speak to your community about the power of technology in the hands of your students, what are some of the examples and projects that you're, that you're most likely to, to highlight and why? What are the special characteristics or properties of these lessons and activities that you feel should be, uh, should be 
emphasized. Um, Jean, maybe maybe you could start. Um, sometimes it's something very simple like our middle school students go to Stone Environmental Center and the teachers a couple years ago decided that they were gonna blog while they were there and take pictures and let students write about what they had done that day and post that back on the website so that parents who can't talk to their kids when they're there because they don't allow telephones and you know it's really supposed to be two days of learning and, and not connected, um, that connection back was really important to parents and really highlighted the learning that was going on. So sometimes it's as simple as communicating at the right time in the right way. Um, other times something that, you know, a characteristic that really stands out is that the student has gotten to choose uh, from a lot of different ways how they show what they've learned. So they might build something or they might um, create a, a fake business. One of our schools does um, sort of an entrepreneur day where they create posters and business cards and they have to be very innovative about what business they've created and they use technology throughout that project. So to me it's student engagement, it's communicating at the right time, maybe even just to parents, but maybe it's students doing that communication. and um, sort of that, uh, that I said before authentic tasks for students those are the kind of things that I really love to see um, and and celebrate and talk about to parents thanks Jane Craig uh, you got my my mind spinning now I you know the first my initial response is state look at our look at our school hashtag hashtag Aurora Huskies I, I our teachers our teachers are awesome. I can't say enough good things about them. They're doing, they're so creative and I love learning from our students. I love asking a student, how did you do that? I just, in fifth grade today, I just said to a kid, how did you do that? When, and I can say that to a parent and said, look at this fifth grader taught that to me today. That kid just shot to the moon and, and I think that's, we're, we're seeing a lot of that in our schools. And I jotted down some notes here. Um, the blogging piece is huge. Uh, when we can share those blogs with parents and a grandparent that they might get to see once or twice a year because they live in Florida and they get to see them at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, when you make those connections, that's an authentic experience for students. And we get to kids publishing content now. After all, we are in the field of education. So should we be teaching our kids how to make those right uh, choices and get them to publishing content instead of turning it in in our classrooms? Um, I'm thinking right now Span StuChat. I think that's actually going to be happening here shortly. Our teachers uh, watched uh, the SciStu chat and we have two wonderful Spanish teachers and they said you know we could do something like that and it gives our chance uh, us a chance to practice good social media use with students from all over the world and it's and I warned them and I said I'm gonna warn you this is gonna get bigger than just once a month so now they're up to bi-weekly they're getting different teachers that want to moderate that but that gives them a forum to go in they have 10 questions they discuss uh, things with students from all over the world and to make those connections and realize that the world truly is flat they're going to be doing things like this in their jobs and having to make uh, decisions and, and uh, use social media or do a, a Google Hangout as we are. Um, I've seen that in our schools, um, we're transitioning from giving students, this is what I want. Here's your expectations, go complete it, and you got, you're given a recipe. It's like you're handing out a cookbook in your classroom. And so I did this project here, here, here. We're transitioning away from that where teachers give them the end, like a rubric, and say, go display your learning. Now, some kids really struggle with that at first and it's like can't I just have a paper copy or can't I take the paper test? No, you gotta show me and you gotta, I gotta see it, I gotta hear it and I gotta 
uh, uh, C words on your iMovie or whatever uh, medium that they use. So that's been fun. Um, just in connecting with others, I'll use Holly Clark as an example, uh, one of your own. She, uh, I had tweeted Holly, and I have a first grade teacher. They're learning about oceans. And I had said to Holly, hey, would you Skype with our first grade class? She did this two years ago. She got right back to it. Uh, she stood on the Pacific Coast Highway, turned her phone on, and Skyped with my students. And it was kind of weird because when we did that, uh, her uh, video didn't show up right away, but you could hear the audio and you could hear the waves crashing in there. And our first graders were Zoom focused in. And it was amazing hearing the oohs and ahs when we saw Holly and we saw the uh, Pacific Ocean in the background. So it was such a powerful experience uh, for our students. So it's, it's awesome to see that in my position. Yeah, those are terrific stories, and thanks to both of you for relating them. You know, when I go to schools and districts, and, and I'm showing examples, I, I, I love to show examples that focus on, on, like, communities of interdependence, meaning where the students um, are sort of dependent on each other for learning. Um, you know, I'm thinking of this example of students creating multimedia books explaining how to solve one-step equations because the textbook language is so obtuse the kids don't understand how to solve one-step equations so the kids create books that have tutorials their notes their voices recorded on how to solve one-step equations so that other students can learn from them or um, a global collaborative book such as the one that's done by Meg Wilson in uh, New York and, and Christine Wydeen in Canada, where you have students creating uh, basically pages, multimedia pages, about their school and their part of the world. And so other kids are learning about geography, are learning about culture through pages that other students have created. I mean, there's all these wonderful examples where this innovation and creativity is not just in a vacuum, but it's actually benefiting other people. That it's a public service, and the students are donating to audiences who are, are benefiting from this knowledge, and who are not only learning, but engaged, such as the kids who are all excited about learning about a Russia because they had received a couple of pages from a teacher and a student in Russia. All these wonderful opportunities. So hey, um, we got a question from Twitter from Bud Hunt, and it's I'm glad to see uh, Bud as part of this. Um, those of you who, who don't know uh, Bud, he's got a terrific blog at Bud the Teacher, one of the most thoughtful uh, blogs on education, technology, innovation, and, and reform. Anyway, so uh, Bud's asking, so how should connected educators decide whether to reject technologies that aren't useful? When should they reflect on value purpose? So yeah, this is a great thoughtful question, no surprise from Bud. Um, so what's your take on this? I mean, how do, how do you decide on whether you reject uh, technologies that aren't, aren't useful? I mean, how do you define providing value and, and purpose? Um, I'll just sort of leave this open, uh, one or both of you. I'll jump in and, and then I'm sure someone else will have something to say. Um, I think we should always be evaluating and thinking about value and purpose because there are so many different technologies out there. 
just if you think about the world of apps, how many apps there are. And um, I think you also have to think about if you bring something into your toolkit that is of low value, it's crowding up your toolkit and distracting you away from focusing on things that really are of value. So I think that educators have to do this all the time. And I think that we should listen to teachers and students when they tell us whether something's valuable or not. Too often, I think the district makes a decision to adopt some piece of software because it comes with their math book or whatever. Um, and I think we really have to encourage our teachers and students to say whether this was valuable. And if there's a difference of opinion, maybe do some kind of assessment. But definitely be thinking of this all the time. We don't want to go for the bells and whistles or even just the practice your fractions kind of software. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And might see that in my position as a tech coach where um, we will sometimes use technology just for, oh, it's cool, it's the ooh and the ah factor, but then you really have to look, is this really enhancing learning in your classroom? And I think that's kind of hard for us sometimes as educators to say, but look, all my kids were really interested and it was fun, but really did it serve a purpose or did it just take five or ten minutes? Was the product that they created, uh, can you tie that to the learning that was taking place to the standard in your classroom? So, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. We have to constantly evaluate. And I always encourage some of my uh, the people that um, are kind of the slow... Uh, they don't want to take on technology. Just do one or two, two things and do them really well. And, you know... But after a while, I think you'll see kids might come to uh, some of our teachers, and we've had that. I've had kids come to me, Mr. Grudeau, did you see this app? You were talking about this during digital citizenship or something, and uh, let me show you what I mean by this. And so that's kind of fun to get that as well. But yeah, the, the evaluation, I think, constantly has to happen. Happen, And true good integration happens in a classroom. It's seamless. It's just like the oxygen in the air. And I think I read that quote by Josh Allen, but uh, it just has to be part of the classroom environment. After all, it's just a tool. Yeah, I think um, Bud just has, has uh, a terrific focus here on, on sort of divining, defining value and purpose. Um, you know, I often think I, I have, you know, often have a limited amount of time with educators and a limited amount of time to delve into some technologies, whether it be a Google workshop, a Chromebook, you know, Chromebook workshop, an iPad workshop, whatever it might be. And so one of the things I ask myself is it does, it, does it provide value for all learners? Can we reach all learners? Can we provide multiple avenues for all students to access information and understand that information? And can we create multiple pathways for students to demonstrate that they know and they understand that they've, they've mastered that content? So, you know, one way I think about this is if I have an app or a tool that allows kids to work in different modalities where some kids, okay, this tool, you can write, you can draw, you can um, include images, so you have visuals, you can include your voice, you can include video. If there is a tool or tools that provides all of these different modalities so that the visual learner, the kinesthetic learner, um, the auditory learner, they all have an opportunity to express what they know and understand. That's the type of technology that I'm likely to focus on. And I often find that the, the technologies that provide these multiple pathways, I mean, most of them can fit on one screen so that you don't have to be chasing the drill and kill math app 
You don't have to be chasing a whole series of, let's say, Spanish apps. Often you can focus on sort of evergreen tools or apps that can, you know, basically cut across grades and disciplines and create all sorts of opportunities. So thanks very much to Bud for um, uh, asking that question. And, and Gene, would you like to add something else to that? Well, it goes along with um, a little bit what you were just saying. It, it sounds like you're talking about empowering students and having them highlight their abilities and uh, show what they do know rather than concentrate on their deficits and trying to correct what they don't know. And so when I think about one of the strengths of using technology, I look to my kindergarten students before they can read and write and they're telling stories so they're drawing pictures and we're getting them onto the iPad and they're doing voiceover to tell their stories so it becomes uh, an oral story if you will uh, an oral book and so we're enabling them to do something that they have the talent to do but that they really couldn't otherwise do because they can't write yet so uh, I think what you were saying is sort of that same idea of empowering all those different abilities and I think we can find tons of apps out there like you had said. But I really like what one of our math teachers uh, does when she uses education. She said, I want you to work through the problem. It's a great app. I want you to work through the problem. I want to hear what you're thinking, what you're doing. You're not going to get that with an app when I'm just doing uh, drill and kill and I'm going through the process and answering stuff within the app. But when that teacher can get that authentic feedback from that student on what's going on in their mind, uh, they're going to be able to better serve that student. Yeah, I think both of you, uh, there's really a constant theme here, that's empowerment. And, you know, I, I try to sort of think about what are the salient characteristics of great teachers? Like, what do great teachers do with technology? And, and I think first and foremost, they empower students through creativity. They, they nurture creative learning environments where kids have these multiple opportunities to express what they know, to express what they understand. And often these teachers can not only put them in creative learning opportunities, but they're engaging and they're powerful and kids want to delve deeper into the content. They want to spend more time. They ask, you know, can we do this tomorrow? I mean, these are sort of the, the, the type of engaging and profound learning environments that, that I think we're all aspiring to. So let me ask you uh, something else in terms of empowerment here. I mean, what do you do specifically in terms of professional development for teachers? to try to empower them. Um, what are the formal or informal practices that the district or school will undertake um, so that the, the teachers are in these kind of nurturing, creative learning environments where they're being empowered to be uh, risk takers? Um, Craig, could you start? Well, you know, when I started my position, PD, I have every third Wednesday, and I thought, I, after about the first year, I got to thinking and evaluating, going, what am I doing? Here I am sitting, putting another thing on the teacher's plates. Their plates are already overloaded. Our teachers everywhere in America are working their tails off. And I thought, okay, I'm not, I'm, it's not sinking in. How can I make it relevant to my teachers? So I started going with some uh, challenge base, or I, I call them app task challenges. And I started going through what I thought would be a good app for their classroom, something that would be a, a very powerful uh, easy to use app in their classroom and I just started creating little challenges and we'd come into a PD session and we'd complete these app task challenges and they had to try to tie it to something that they were using in their content area. 
uh, try to how to use Sketch or how to use Educrations. How would I use this as a social studies teacher? And then I started uh, creating challenges for our teachers. We're doing a Connected Educator Month challenge. So I create a s'more page for our teachers. Uh, our principals have donated some iTunes gift cards, so I'll keep track in each building, and I have some criteria that each uh, that the teachers can meet. They can pin stuff, they can tweet stuff, they can participate in a Twitter chat. Uh, so that's I've had some good success with that, but just making it relevant to teachers, um, having them come in. I gave them a, a I wanted them to be better uh, suited to using the iMovie app last year, and I wanted them to do some simple app smashing. So instead of me sitting there. I want them to be uh, no sitting and getting. I want them to be up and around. So I, I uh, did a challenge just called uh, How To, and I created a s'more, and I said you have to create a 30 to 60 second PSA, a PSA on How To, and they were in their PLCs, and I said you got one hour. I'll be in my room for tech support and good luck. See you in the auditorium. All 120 teachers had to report back, and we watched. We had kind of a rollout, a little matinee, and watching the teachers' videos. And some of them, I mean, all of them, did a fantastic job. So those are some of the ways that I've tried to meet the needs of my teachers and just do get away from the sit and get because I think that's just that that model's so old, and we got to get away from that because it's just not working in our schools. Yeah, I definitely agree, Jane. I think there are as many um, answers as there are teachers. Uh, teachers practically need their own IEP for um, professional development because they all have different needs and learning styles and some want to sit at home and do an online webinar at night with their feet up sitting on their couch and others want to be in a room with their colleagues um, sort of socializing and making that part of the learning. So I think that school districts have to do you know everything. They have to have their professional development days. They have to um, help connect teachers to professional learning communities within their school and outside of their school. Um, we uh, like to bring in outside experts. So um, you know we had ed tech teacher and the teaching in the 21st century classroom last year. I I could fill that co if I had the money to do it. I could fill that cohort every month. I think teachers loved that. But some teachers learn best in a quiet corner with the technology specialist one-on-one -on -one where they feel like um, they can ask their questions and not feel silly. So as many different ways as there are uh, for kids to learn, are there are for teachers to learn. And I think school districts have a tough job um, to really respect all those different uh, modalities and to make a lot of opportunities for teachers. I think it's a challenge. Those are, those are great comments. I mean, uh, Craig, your theme of a challenge-based model, I mean, that's something that we uh, embody and, and aspire to is, is challenge them with an activity. Um, and in other words, you know, when you're starting off a workshop, instead of, hey, everybody, click here or tap here, do what I do, give them a challenge and a time limit and say, I want to complete it. Many teachers would kind of, wait a minute, will stop and shake their head, and, but soon they're immersed in this constructive, active learning environment. They're, they're, they're succeeding at tackling challenges, they're learning through failure, they're collaborating, working with others, and 20 minutes later, they completed perhaps a dozen challenges that they didn't think they could complete. And now you've built a measure of comfort confidence, and of course knowledge going forward that they can tackle more challenges. And there's no question that that's an engaging instructional framework 
for, for on-site PD. And then Gene, you said about trying to meet the needs of diverse learners. Yes, we, you know, there's, there's often, uh, there are often teachers that are part of these on-site workshops be more comfortable in that one-to-one -one environment or would appreciate if, uh, if it could be delivered asynchronously. So it seems to me that it's finding a balance, which is often a blended learning environment, so that we have the on-site, face-to-face, and the active constructivist learning environment. On the online, we can have two components. We can have synchronous, like a live webinar, or we can have asynchronous, where the teachers access resources at their own time, such as a video tutorial or a module. And so as much as we can provide sort of a more well, comprehensive is not the right word, but a very, kind of a very PD model that takes into account uh, both the on-site and the online, the asynchronous and the synchronous, it seems to me a greater chance for success. So let me, um, let me ask you a little bit about the role of parents here, um, and uh, how, how do you try to build uh, communication and, and support from parents. Often with any technology uh, initiative, there's pushback, there can be certain elements of the community um, uh, maybe intransigent, others may be completely embracing what you're doing. Um, so how do you manage that, what can be a very difficult waters when you have all these diverse opinions and um, attitudes of parents around technology? Um, Craig, do you want to start? Display, display, display. Get the parents in your building. Um, I, uh, uh, I think that's very essential to get everybody on board and, and you know, for the culture community and you've got to have a very supportive district to move this process forward with having the technology in the schools and you've got to get those people into your school district to do that. Um, I wanted to, uh, uh, we've actually, I've, we've had a third grade teacher that goes to the senior center and she does uh, PAWS, uh, iPads, I can't remember what the acronym specifically stands for, but she did that last year, and what a neat experience to see some of these people that might have been a little bit hesitant about seeing something technology are having to pay their taxes, saying, gosh, we're buying all these kids iPads, and when they can get their hands on and learn from a kid that's nine years old, that's a pretty powerful experience, or uh, I started my first year, I wanted to get patrons in on a Friday night. We have a very successful football program here, and we draw quite a few people, so I thought, how can I tap in to those people and get them into my classroom. So I started doing tech tailgates on Friday nights before every home football game from 5.30 to 6.30. They get a park on the west side of the building. They get a great spot. It's just a hop, skip, and a jump to the football field. And we just cover some various things. And I tell you what, I've had about 12 people tag on to that. No, it's not what I want. I'd love to have 50 or 60. But I think word's starting to get out. Uh, and we have just a great time of learning how to use the iPad. Um, and I'd li really like to have a student-led kind of seminar where the, uh, the, the students are on a panel and parents can ask uh, questions. I'm kicking around the idea. Just the other night, the, the, the group that I had in my tech tailgate said, can you keep doing this in basketball, please? We want to get more people here. We'll bring more people here. And we're just out of football season. And so I thought, you know, maybe I'll kick around the idea. Uh, we have a neighboring uh, school district. Uh, Mike Lucas at, uh, with the York Dukes does a wonderful job of having community coffees. And so I think that's really essential to get those people, those stakeholders and patrons into seeing the positive things that might not be connected, you know, being shared via Google Plus or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, to get them physically in the building and have those discussions with teachers and, and not only teachers but students and administrators as well. 
Thank you. Jane? I don't think there's any magic answer, but I think um, the more we reach out and communicate, the better. Um, I think some principals do it really well with um, parent forums and parent nights and parent coffees and blogs and, you know, the one-way emails, sort of the, the email that goes out to the whole school. But I'd say one of the more effective things that we've done is um, we had a tech night where teachers presented what they were doing with something that they were doing with technology in their classes. But they only presented for a couple minutes. Then they had three or four students go around and sit with the parents in the room to demo and sort of be the one-on-one -on -one tutors. And uh, everybody I talked to thought that that was uh, really powerful and they really understood better not just what students were doing with devices but how um, how much ownership they had of it and how how empowering it was because the students were really acting as the teachers and so I think the more we can get students to tell the story the better off we are yeah that's so that's so true if we can bring student accomplishments and student creativity to the forefront if we can create that window into the classroom as, as both of you have, have outlined. Uh, it strikes me in sort of uh, going to different schools how teachers who use media, maybe blog, maybe social media to present student work and to provide parents with a glimpse of what's happening in the classroom with technology can alleviate, uh, alleviate some of the concerns and uh, some of the issues surrounding proper usage or effective use of technology. In other words, as you both said, communicate, display, communicate, create these opportunities for parents to see what's happening in the classrooms. And if, if there is a vision uh, for using technology in the service of learning, and if teachers are using it in ways that go beyond simple substitution, and they're powerful, they're engaging, they're meaningful, and they present opportunities to publish and help others, um, that, that can alleviate a lot of the concerns that uh, parents have. Hey, so we've talked about various topics. Um, we've talked about, talked about empowerment of students, of teachers, of professional development. Um, you know, the theme of tonight's webinar, and a theme that you've alluded to many times, is connect. Connect, connect, connect. So what's your advice for administrators who are looking to connect to other administrators? Often the administrator, uh, the head of the school, the superintendent, assistant principal, well, there are not two assistant principals or two heads of schools in most situations. Um, how can they connect to, uh, to others? What are the opportunities for them to learn, to share, and to sort of build, uh, build their professional uh, understanding and base of how to use technology effectively. Jean? I think um, all school administrators have to jump in to social media. Uh, my personal learning network is huge now because it's international and I would not um, I would not be solving the problems I'm solving in my school or thinking and reflecting the way I am unless I had that input from so many different places. And for principals, I mean, there are a lot of great blogs and Twitter chats that they can join. And if they're not 
ready to jump in, they can lurk and just listen to the um, conversation going on and and get resources. I think once they do that for a number of weeks, they feel more confident to jump in and you know talk. And I think it starts at the be at the top. So when the superintendent is um, on Twitter and when they're um, sharing all the agendas and minutes in Google Apps, that sort of is a jump start for our principals and other administrators to um, feel like they have permission to do the same and not just permission but a little bit of a nudge for them to do the same. Yeah, you know, you don't know what you don't know and Twitter to me I was just uh, doing a, a, a workshop a couple weeks ago and somebody asked me well, why should I get on Twitter? What's the big deal about being a connected educator? And I, I really don't know how to answer that. It's hard to explain until that person has been in that situation and has made that connection. And like you had said, Gene, has that international PLN. What an opportunity of I'm hooking up our science teacher with another uh, teacher in Australia and making those connections and learning from people. It is a Yes, it's like drinking from a fire hose, but I tell teachers, subscribe to hashtags or like TV channels. Find a half a dozen that you like and lurk and consume. And when I always tell administrators and teachers when I, I talk about being connected, be a consumer first instead of a producer because I think there's that fear of what if I put something out there that's not correct. But I think we have to surround, our peop uh, surround ourselves with people that make us think uh, and maybe challenge our way of thinking because I've been called out on a tweet or two and said, why do you do something like that? And it really forces you to look inwards and say, gosh, why am I thinking that? Maybe I should have this conversation with that person. And like you had said, the blogs that are out there, I just think that I'm constantly evaluating what I'm doing and, and then making, you know, Twitter is awesome, but then when you can meet those people at a conference and have those face-to-face -face conversations, that takes it to the next level. So, you know, sometimes I think as educators we can feel like we're on that island and I was trying to think of a, of a picture of how, do I would, uh, how I would draw it or how I would uh, explain it. And you're on that island, and really Twitter is just all these bridges that are to this island, and, and that's the best way I could describe that. But, you know, when I first heard about Twitter, I had a teacher that said, you need to be sharing, Craig, it's awesome. And I said, I don't get it. I, 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 he said, no, you, you need to follow the right people. And these connections that I've made and just have made me really the educator that I am today and the connections that I have and, and, and knowing that I can you know, instantly tweet somebody or, or send them an email and, and we can uh, have a collaborative opportunity, an awesome opportunity for the students in my school district. I think a lot of times when the message comes from the tech director or the instructional technology person, um, a principal or administrator might think, oh sure, they get it, they can do it, that's their world, they have time. So I think if someone is hesitant that they should find someone to talk to who is in their job and is successfully using Twitter or whatever social media they use for their professional professional learning network and talk to them and ask them how they got started and why it's important to them. And I think, just one last thing, I think the digital citizenship piece is very important too. It's a great way to brand yourself. People are going to look for your social media profiles. We spend quite a bit of time at Aurora Public Schools talking with uh, K-12 about digital citizenship. One of our last challenges during our uh, last uh, digital citizenship rotation was challenging kids to start publishing and leaving a good trail of information about themselves on Google and they had to complete a challenge where they had to create an about.me page and really that starts at the top and having our administrators realize that yeah your Twitter handle it's going to be searchable and what are you saying? You know what is your what is your footprint look like? Your tattoo look like? And again it starts at the top. 
You know, I was just leading a Twitter workshop yesterday, and it was mostly for newbies in the Twitter world, and I tried to explain to them that Twitter's a lot like coffee. And the first time you have a cup of coffee, you're like, oh, why would anybody drink this stuff? And then six months later, you're addicted. And so for many administrators that use Twitter actively, and some who have become leaders like Eric Scheniger, um, you know, the, the, the former principal of New Milford, said, you know, I didn't like it at all, and I didn't understand it at all when I first um, uh, used it. But now I, I understand how powerful it is if I can tweet out a great student activity. Uh, I can just maybe have a picture of some, some great learning that's happening in my classroom and tweet that out. If I can just let the parents know about this new development at the school, it's such a great way of communicating to the community and giving them a window, and at the same time, I'm connecting with other administrators, other educators, and educational organizations all over the country. Well, I'll tell you what, we only have a few minutes left. So I'm, um, I'm wondering, you know, are there some, some issues or topics that we haven't addressed tonight that you really, wanna, you really want to get a message out to our audience? Uh, something that um, you really would love to share to make sure that we address before the end of end of this evening. I'll I'll just leave it open for uh, you know one or both of you. Jump in with both feet. Uh, it's it's just going to be a great thing for your school district. I know it's hard if you're watching this going okay. What do I where do I start? Um, and like I think Gene had said, get with somebody. Uh, have them have that conversation with you, but you, you know it, it really starts with you as as connected or as as leaders of school districts. Becoming connected is just going to create a whole new world for you of opportunities, of great uh, things that could happen in your district uh, for your teachers, for your students, for your patrons. So uh, I always tell my teachers, you know, uh, some, uh, or jump in with both feet. Or some people ask me, how'd you get a teacher to do that? I said, you just got to push them, just do it, and so take that chance. Um, I'm going to go with it's about the relationships. So if you want people to change in your school, you've got to have the social capital in your school to to be have their trust and to understand what they're going through in order to make that change. So it's all about building those relationships and helping people make the changes that you want to see, and and then maybe modeling them yourself. <laughs> Seems to me if, if the goal is sustained innovative progress that we need to empower educators. In other words, to get them to working together both formally and informally to share ideas, to share practices. And we all know that instructional changes happen when teachers share ideas, share practices with each other. Those conversations in the cafeteria, hey, I heard some student told me you were doing this. Well, what, what were you doing? What was that technology? How does it help? Those kinds of conversations. So as administrators, if we can try to nurture and create environments and opportunities, both um, those both informal opportunities where we bring together teachers, perhaps in small cohorts of certain grades and disciplines to discuss innovative practices, formal where we either um, create ed camps inside and or we bring in outside experts to provide uh, more ideas and vision and perspective and of course through modeling um, and modeling is uh, paramount you need to be able to walk the talk and teachers certainly certainly notice so we're at the end of our uh, evening together 
And this wraps up the third webinar. Um, but there are more conversations here. Um, just, to, just to make sure that you, you remember, you know, as I'm looking at my notes here, to go back to the Connected Learning Google Plus community for more information on the, on the upcoming webinars and other resources. You can go to connectedlearning.tv. And uh, you can also visit us, of course, at edtechteacher.org. Sign up for our newsletter. Um, many of you may be aware that the third uh, iPad Summit in Boston is coming in November, the middle of November. We expect about 600 international educators. And we'll be in San Diego in February as well. So there's information on that at edtechteacher.org. So um, the next webinar is next Tuesday, October the 28th. It'll be the same time, which is 8 p.m. on the East Coast and 5 p.m. on the West Coast. And uh, the chat will be about some of the ways teachers are incorporating interest-powered learning into the curriculum. So with that, I want to thank Gene and Craig for their great insights and participation tonight. And thanks to everyone who joined us. Good night, everybody.